Hi, and welcome to No Crying in Baseball, episode 61, the Swiss Army Knife episode. My name's Patty, and I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. T- today is the last day, so I just wanted to put that out there. We have one, well, actually, tomorrow's the last day. Today is the last night. Does that make any sense? What it means is no more latkes for me when yeah. I go to your house. That, although there might be a few leftovers. Something about latkes last even beyond the eight days. It's a Hanukkah miracle. That's it. That's totally it. And and I'm never, I don't cook latkes in between Hanukkahs because the house reeks of oil for eight days. You say Minimum. that like it's a bad thing. Minimum, yeah. But you leave well, your house sometimes, right? You go to some local watering holes. Like, for instance, our local VFW, which is one of our favorite watering holes because the, the beer is cheap and the company is good. And our friend there, who's also a friend of the podcast, Debbie, we were chatting with her when we were there the other night. And I can't believe I never knew this about her. She was telling us about her amazing bobblehead collection, which I do know about because I've contributed to it. And she said, and you know, I only have this one Red Sox thing. And I thought, oh, that's sweet that you have a Red Sox thing and you told me about it. And then she said something about wanting to laminate a picture of her grandfather in his uniform. And I was thinking, what uniform? And she said, Red Sox uniforms. Turns out that her grandfather played for the Red Sox, not necessarily in their glory days. It was the (laughs) late 20s, early 30s. Maybe not a high time for the Red Sox, but that's still pretty fucking cool that she has a relative who played for the Red Sox. And I remember his name because it was John Smith. So I still have to do my homework and I have to look up the Red Sox. We went to another event the night before, you and I both, and we talked about this last week, the race um, sports and law event, which was fantastic. It was so good. I saw my friend George there and I told him about the podcast for the first time. Hopefully he's listening. Hey, George. And he, I thought, was a Yankees fan. And I was very relieved to know that he was a Mets fan. I totally forgot that his wife is from Maine, so therefore has Red Sox blood. And he told the story of the first time that he met his in-laws. And, of course, he had to prove his New York roots weren't going against him. (laughs) But they have some family connection. And I don't remember if it's a friend's daughter or a daughter's friend who also works for the Red Sox organization. Now, maybe we can talk to her. He's going to give us some info. But I'm feeling a little bit like a Red Sox magnet. I, I just can't avoid it. I know that I might disproportionately mention those two words on this podcast, but it just comes to me. That, All I these think, places. I think your fashion choices sort of feed into that, too. Okay. You know, when you wear the Red Sox gear pretty much every day, people say, hey, you like the Red Sox? Have I got a story for you? Hey, you like the Red Sox? I have a story for you. And here it is. Oh, cool. Turns out the Red Sox are going to accept the White House invitation to mm-hmm. visit you know, to celebrate their, you know, I heard they won the World Series. Yep. Is that true? Yeah, okay. Yep. So they're going to go celebrate their World Series win at the White House, which will probably take place in April. And of course, everyone's throwing their hands up and they're going, oh my God, how can you do? So it can go in a lot of different ways. Alex Cora says he wants to go. He wants to be respectful, but he also wants to use his, this platform, and I quote, in the right way. And I'm a little concerned. I mean, I hope he gets to have a conversation with with the um, with the president about say Puerto Rico about anything, but I have a feeling that doesn't happen. I have a feeling it's a photo shoot and some shaking of hands and some ill timed comments by the president, and then they all go home. But if Alex Cora gets a chance, I hope he gets to to use it. I'm very curious because there are definitely some subtle things that he could do, like say his clothing choices or things like that. If mm-hmm. something had a Puerto Rican flag on it, which he wore at a press conference, it'll be interesting. I want to keep my eyes open for that. 
Today on our show, we're going to start with a tragedy in Venezuela that we have to tell you about. And I'm sorry we start on a sad note, but it's important to, to acknowledge. Then we're going to move on to straight up baseball, like teams tanking on purpose. It's already starting again for next year. Quick vocabulary lesson about waivers, because it seems like all of our boyfriends, the Tigers and Giants boyfriends, many of them have some relationship to waivers happening right now. So we want to explain what that is. We have some good news about women in baseball, some things that Major League Baseball is doing, and a little bit about Addison Russell, which is not as bad as it sounds for a change. Let's start with the Venezuelan news. Let's start with it. It's hard. Uh, one thing that we've done on this podcast is really honor the international value of our players and where they come from and their stories of their countries. And we've talked a lot about Venezuelan players and struggles with the situation in Venezuela. And we've talked about players who have been kidnapped. And we talked about Buffalo and other players' families who have been kidnapped. Turns out that there's a new way to fuck around with rich people in Venezuela, which is that people, young Poor, desperate people are throwing rocks on the road to cause a car accident so that they can then rob the people in the car. And this happened to a tragic end to two MLB players, Luis Valbuena and Jose Castillo. Luis Valbuena played in the major leagues up until this year. He was just released from the Angels this past year, so he would have been somewhere the next season. Um, he's been everywhere from Cleveland, Seattle, the Cubs, and importantly, in Houston. And the the other person who died, Jose Castillo, is no longer playing in MLB, but he played for five years. Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Houston, went on to Taiwan and Japan. Both of them were back in Venezuela, playing in the winter leagues. And I think it's notable to say that a lot of our Venezuelan players who go back in the winter really don't have to. They could be vacationing on the beach somewhere. But especially in the case of Valbuena, he went back because they love Venezuela. They just want to be there. So they're, they're essentially taking this risk at this point. So they were driving home to their to their home stadium after a game. They were at a game in Caracas, coming back home. They had a driver. There was another person in the car, third baseman Carlos Rivero, who survived the accident. Both Valbuena and Castillo were in the back seat, not wearing seatbelts. So when the car hit one of these rocks that had been placed in the road, they were flown out of the car and they were both tragically killed. Whereas the driver and um, and Rivero both survived the accident wearing their seatbelts. Public service announcement. Yeah. Yeah, a tragic one. Uh, the the other thing about it is that the effect on Venezuelan players, both in MLB and the people of Venezuela, has been really profound. And paying attention to social media this week has been incredibly heart-wrenching to see these reactions. There was the reaction in Venezuela the very next day. They had a mass with the coffins at the ballpark. And just the image of that and the packed ballpark of people absolutely weeping over this tragedy very difficult to see. The reactions happening all over MLB by the players also equally heart-wrenching. And I, I found one by Marwin Gonzalez who said that what hurts him the most is to not have been able to say that that past Friday that I love you to, to uh, Luis Valbuena, I think that was directed to because he had been on the Astros and Valbuena had actually been on that uh, 2015 Astros team that went to the finals for the first time in God knows how long. And he has a lot of ties to those Venezuelan players, including Altuve, who are still on the Astros. 
Um, one thing that this might lead to is that players in Venezuela aren't going to be able to travel by private car anymore because I think what happened was these kids knew that players were going at that time from that game back to the home stadium. And the the president of the uh, Venezuelan baseball professional league, Liga Venezolano Baseball Profesional, Juan Jose Avila, said that if they had been on the team bus, they wouldn't have been killed. So the way of saying that maybe wasn't the best timing, but the the intent behind it was maybe that there needs to be some some changes. Yeah. So to be clear there, there's the option. There is a team mm-hmm. bus that players can choose to ride. These guys chose to go by private car because why wouldn't you? You're just going home. So that may change. It also doesn't preclude this kind of thing just happening in general, because as Patty Mouth said, it's the way crime is committed now. This is this is the pattern. This is the strategy. Cars uh, rocks in the road to to cause cars to crash. Yeah, it's a really shitty situation. Uh, the, notably, the there have been four people charged with this, and they posted their pictures, and they look young. I'm yeah. thinking that these kids were looking for some easy money somehow, or just desperate. And ended up killing people. The effect on on the baseball league also is going to be intense. The team that they played for was actually in first place. So what happens now? They suspended the games for that one day, but now the team has to pull it back together and finish yeah. the season. And the the biggest power hitter, Valbuena, he, he had led the team with 22 RBIs. So I want to keep an eye on Venezuelan baseball for the rest of the winter season and see what's going on. We're going to move on to teams tanking. They're tanking on purpose again already, and the season is nowhere near starting yet. Two of these teams are the Diamondbacks and the Mariners. Paul Goldschmidt, my boyfriend on the Diamondbacks, was just traded to the Cardinals. Paul Goldschmidt is a veteran, and he's never played anywhere else but Arizona. He is the face of the franchise, and the Diamondbacks got nothing of note. They got three guys who are fine, their prospects, they're not ready to really jump in right now. So there's no like immediate return on this gigantic trade. The Cardinals are going to get Goldie for a year before he hits free agency. They can try to extend the contract and all that, but basically they're renting him for a year. Um, Matt Carpenter from the Cardinals called it a Christmas miracle. <laughs> and he's not wrong because who would make this trade, for gosh sakes? I do need a boyfriend rule clarification. If Goldschmidt is now on the Cardinals, do I get to pick him as a Cardinals boyfriend? He Ooh. was my boyfriend on the Diamondbacks. But I, he- I don't I don't think so because we've already done the deep dive into him. The, the yeah. whole thing is we got to look at new I guys. Know, so I, know. I know. It's a hard one. It's a I'm hard just one. trying. Um, the other people that – so the Diamondbacks also just – lost Patrick Corbin to the Nats Yay. as a Nats fan. Hooray for that, yeah. right? And Corbin was a free agent, but it doesn't seem like Diamondbacks tried very hard to keep him. So they've lost a couple of big-name guys, and they just don't have that many big-name guys to spare. So it seems like they're sort of writing off next year. The Mariners seem to be doing that, too. We talked mm-hmm. about um, trading Paxton to the Yankees, so Big Eagle has left. Um, we talked last week about the Cano-Diaz deal to the Mets. And just this week, um, their their all-star shortstop, Segura, went to the Phillies. Now, they are getting Carlos Santana, formerly of Cleveland, and then the Phillies, who I like but didn't have a banner year. They're not getting a lot back either. It seems like they are trading away their big names, their, their stellar guys, 
almost all of them, and are kind of writing off next year too. And I'd hate to see that. I, I like the sort of balancing the strategy, like you're developing your farm system, but you're keeping the guys that are going to make it interesting to play. And I'm worried they're going to lose their fan bases if they don't have anybody to see when they go to the ballpark. Vocabulary lesson, waivers. We've mentioned waivers in the context of deadlines over the summer. Um, this is a slightly different kind of waiver. When a team needs to clear somebody off to make room on their 40-man roster, or if they DFA someone, designate for assignment somebody, removing them from the 40-man roster, they have to put that player on waivers. When they are on waivers, all the other clubs have the opportunity to claim that player. And when they do, they basically just pick up that player's remaining contract. You, as the team who is getting rid of the player, has said, we're done. We're done. So you can have them. Sometimes what they're saying is we want to put them back in the minor leagues, but we've used up all of their minor league options. So we have to make this player available to the other teams. If nobody on the other teams wants them, we can put them wherever we want to, or that player can choose to become a free agent. Also, if a player has been in the major leagues long enough, they can deny, they can say, no, you can't, I don't want to play in the minors anymore. I want to become a free agent. So there's levels of how much agency um, a player has over what happens to them when they are designated for assignments and put on waivers. And we're going to have examples of all of those things when we talk about our boyfriends. Let's talk about some boyfriends. I appreciate that waiver discussion because I had put out a big plea because when I looked at the Tigers and I was struggling to find somebody, I noticed that Brandon Dixon was there, who I actually turned down last week, had wanted, had been interested in him for the Padres. I didn't realize that he had been claimed off waivers by the Tigers. So I said, Patty, what does that mean? And Patty, of course, answered my question. I am here for you. I appreciate that so much in so many ways. Uh, so I didn't get Dixon. And then I couldn't get Cabrera because I had him last year. And I was trying to get out of the infield because I'd been kind of stuck there last week. I looked for a catcher. It seems like the catcher situation is is very unknown because of this free agency and waiver situation. So I found a guy who just came up last September, and I'm hoping we can stick with him. I don't know a lot about him. I know his first name is Kristen, not Christian. And I, I kept checking the spelling on that. It's just I-N at the end. Kristen Galen Harris-Stewart, nice, young, 24-year-old left fielder. He was a, a high school star. I think this was kind of cool. He, he grew up in Georgia, and he is tied for the most high school home runs in the state of Georgia with 69 throughout his high school career. When he was a junior, he got 26. So young, active. Uh, he was picked in the first round to the Tigers organization in 2015, and this might be another vocabulary lesson for me in the future because it was some compensatory pick for losing Scherzer as a free agent. Sometimes you trade a draft pick. That's what that ah. would be. You get a player and you also give up a draft pick maybe. So this would be that draft pick they got. I appreciate that. And I and I love Scherzer. So I thought having any sort of Scherzer connection is a good thing. He played for five different minor league teams within the Tigers organization before going to the Toledo Mud Hens. And I just thought that they were worth mentioning because who wouldn't want to play for the Toledo Mud, Mud Hens? He did damn well for the Mud Hens. In his first 30 games, he was batting 303. And his manager said that he's great with the strike zone he does not chase. 
He played in the Futures game, which is something else I really appreciate after having seen a Futures game last year. And the year that he was in the Futures game in 2016, there's some great video footage of him in Playball Park where you and I volunteered last year here in D.C. And it's this uh, event that they have with the All-Star game where kids can come and do activities. And he was there playing with the kids. So that's baseball boyfriend points, you know, playing with children. Very good thing. He was the Tigers minor league uh, player of the year two years in a row in 16 and 17. So he was called up last September. He got two home runs in his first two at-bats. Not too bad. Nice. Six RBIs. He only played 17 games, but he was batting 267. He's known as a bit of a power hitter. But then he got injured and he's had lower abdominal surgery this past October. So I don't know whether to be worried or not. They say he's going to be ready for spring training. He did major in kinesiology at University of Tennessee. So I'm hoping that he can sort of take charge of his own recuperation and he can be help that himself. power boyfriend <laughs> that I need on the Tigers. I'm sticking with it. I too had somebody else in mind as a Tigers boyfriend and then, and then, and then switched gears. I was looking at Dustin Peterson, uh, he was recently claimed from the Braves to the Tigers. So his first major league at bat was last year with the Braves when he was actually filling in for um, Rookie of the Year, Acuna Jr. He, at his very first at bat, had thought he walked. But unfortunately, he had only been three balls, not four. So he started strolling away from home plate, heading to first. And the pitcher threw up his arms like, oh, what are you doing? And he realized what happened. And he backed up. He just walked backwards back to the batter's box. And I thought, that's hilarious. But that's not enough to be my boyfriend. So I put him aside and went for Nico Gudrum, who is second base. I'm also have, I have this glut thing happening right now. Both of my guys are utility guys. And I got utility guys last time. So I don't know what I'm going to do. But Nico is right now been playing more second base than anything else. He's 26. His story begins when he was two. He had an older brother playing um, little little League. So they would take him in his stroller and he would sit and watch the game and apparently he could not be distracted. And as parents, we know that not distracting a two-year-old is magical. So clearly he was very focused on the game. And that's the way Nico and I have something in common because when I was a baby, my siblings used to have my stroller out as second base in the middle of the street. So when they would play baseball in the street, I was a base. So I also was very, it was integral <laughs> in, in siblings playing games while I was in a stroller. Anyway, he was a second round pick um, by the Twins in 2010. He signed right out of high school in Fayetteville, Georgia. Uh, he hung out in the Twins minor league system for a very long time. And as we, I mentioned before in the vocabulary lesson, if you run out of options going back and forth to the minor leagues, you you know you have to be put on waivers at some point, and the Twins waived him in November of 2017. And Gudrum said, "Forget it, I'm going to be a free agent. I don't want to go back to again with the Rochester Red Wings. It's a very nice stadium, but nobody wants to go there if you've been there for so many years already, right?" He became a free agent, got signed by the Tigers, and poof, Tigers Rookie of the Year last year, and he was the Player of the Month in July. So I think he just needed to be shaken out of the funk that was the Twins minor league organization, and the Tigers is doing well for them. He's true utility. He played every position except for, weirdly, center field, pitcher and catcher, although he was identified as the emergency catcher. So if the catcher and the first runner-up were unable to fulfill their duties, 
he would have been the catcher. I'm figuring that means he had to practice putting on all the equipment all and the taking gear, it yep. off really. Yeah. Sure, sure. It's a thing. He only hit 245 for the season, but in September he hit 310. So he was kind of on the slow build where he got better as the season went along. Um, his highlight, however, was in May. He had a two home, home run, five RBI game against Cleveland, but I got to say it because that's pretty impressive. His 48 extra base hits had him second among all American League rookies. That's pretty impressive, too. The boyfriend part of all this, besides our whole stroller relationship thing we have going, is he, you know, he's new to Detroit, right, just the past year. So he was aware tangentially about the Flint water crisis, didn't actually realize it was still going on. Because as you know, it's not really news anymore. People have been ignoring this whole crisis. It was hot for a while. He learned about it again. He talked to the Tigers organization and wrote them a check and said, help me make this happen. I want to send water to Flint. So the Tigers helped him donate 1,440 cases of water to the people of Flint. And he went there up, went up there on a day off, went to a church and helped with distribution. Later on in the season, he found out the Detroit public school system was short on drinking water as well. So he did it again. There's video of him with one of the athletic teams from one of the schools. And it's hilarious because he looks like he's just one of these high school guys because they're all in their, like their uniform jerseys and they're all unloading this truck. And he could be one of them. But he said, he said, this is just how I was raised. Everyone needs help. Nobody gets anywhere by themselves. I'm just trying to help in whatever way I can. So I think that's really cool that he's kind of starting out as a young guy with this in mind. So I think we can expect even bigger and better things from him. He texts his dad and his high school baseball coach after every game. And his dad says of him, he's got that drive like Michael Jordan had, that heart, that drive, that I can't get beat attitude. I know if he got a chance, he'd do well. So he he checks all the boxes as far as I'm concerned for boyfriend material. So I'm hoping for good things from Nico Gudrum. Sounds like a good pick. Let's go to San Francisco. Oh, I want to go to San Francisco. Let's go to San Francisco. I am not going to do justice to Brandon Belt. I'm going to try to do a quick rundown here since we're running short on time. It. I had to pick Brandon Belt because it turns out that my last year's boyfriend for the Giants, Brandon Crawford, note Brandon, Brandon and Brandon have a blog. Last week it was a Venezuelan rut. Now it's a Brandon rut. I've got this Brandon thing going. And it's adorable. They're they're not only having blogging together, but they're buddies and they play catch and they like to play tricks on each other to try to get the other one to drop the ball playing catch. So it's that kind of spirit that I admire in a boyfriend. He also made a good choice. He was drafted out of high school by the Red Sox, but he chose to go to college. So look at me choosing the responsible decision kind of guy. So surprised. I mean, that's great. Huh? There, there you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, maybe he wasn't always making the right decisions because when he was in college, he was hit in the head. Yes, he had a helmet on, but he was hit in the head batting at college regionals. He did get a concussion and he played the next day. It was the next day. Not only did he play, but that game ended up being the longest game in NCAA postseason history at 25 innings. He played the whole fucking game. All 25 games. And he only got one hit. He said it wasn't his best game. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) And he doesn't remember it, nor does he remember the run to the World Series. He's saying this definitely cautionary, and I'm hoping that he's learning, although his history of injuries has followed him even to the Giants. He came up to the Giants in 09. He came into the organization in 09. He went through all three levels in 10. And so he was up, I think, in 11, got a couple rings with them in 12 and 14. And then his misery started with a broken thumb in in 14, 
which he had to have pins in. And then he's gotten beaned and had concussions, including in 17. And then last year, in the middle of the season, he had appendicitis. His appendix had to be removed on an emergency situation. And not only that, so they they had to do the emergency childcare thing with their kid. His stats tanked after the appendectomy. He was batting 307 before it, 211 after. And then in September... He ended up with a knee injury. So I can relate to this injury klutziness and stuff like that. But I'm I'm hopeful, hopeful that next year he's going to come back together. I, I admire his um, family connection. He has two boys who he talks about with utmost pride. He has a great uh, story on his blog about his older boy, Grayson, who's three and a giraffe. His baby was born last summer, and he named it after an amazing coach that I'll also post information on, whose name is August Garrido from the University of Texas, and his wife is Haley. Another interesting thing that he uh, is noted for for last season was that for the the stat is new. It's only been recorded since 88, but he was the uh, the longest at bat, 21 pitches. Good on, Lord. Yeah. April 2018 against Angels pitcher Jaime Barria, who just couldn't get a strikeout. And um, and he actually said that he had to apologize because before that, he used to kind of make fun of guys who just couldn't get through it and be like, dude, just put it in play. It's not that hard. That's a direct quote. And now he's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Uh-huh. I kind of have to go back on that. And And the other thing that just brought me to him was He was born at home, which is kind of a cool thing, in Texas. His dad's a high school teacher, another thing that is near and dear to me. And he was on the list of most overlooked players last year. So I'm hopeful. This is my guy. All right. All right. So I had to phone a friend for my Giants boyfriend. And my friend is award-winning Deborah from San Francisco, who killed us in the Fantasy Baseball League. So I figured she would know because she's from there. So she said, you need Alan Hansen. And I looked him up and she was absolutely right. He is a second baseman. He's 26. He is from the Dominican Republic and his nickname is El Chemiquito, which we believe is little boy, young yeah. man. It, right? He does not have a Dominican sounding name. No, the, Alan Hansen. Right. Yeah. So apparently he has some European roots as well. Uh-huh. So he's not just straight up Dominican. Um, he wanted to play professional basketball, but he topped out at six foot tall, which everyone said he's more like a shortstop than he is a point guard. So, but at, he really admired um, Omar Vizquel and Cal Ripken Jr., two Aww. people near and dear to my baseball heart. So I'm good with that. He signed with the Pirates in 2010, again, as as a kid, right? This is you know coming up through the Dominican Leagues and the academies and all of that. His major league debut was with the Pirates in May of 2016. So he called home to the DR to tell his mom, mom, I made it to the show. I'm, I got called up to the big leagues and the phone went dead. And it turns out his mom inadvertently hung up on him when she got this news and she was off celebrating with the family and cheering and all of this. He didn't know what happened. So he stood there with dead air on the phone for like 10 minutes. And then she eventually called him back. So, you know, call your mother even when she hangs up on you, right? The White Sox claimed him off of waivers from the Pirates in June of, 20, of 2017, and then he chose the free agency route because then the White Sox were it put him on waivers to get to get him off of their 40-man roster. So he said, I want to be a free agent. The Giants picked him up in December. 
And all of a sudden, this is just like my my other boyfriend is things started coming together for him. He's such a utility player that different things I read about him called him a Swiss army knife, a flashy utility player that the Giants really needed, a solid utility player. You might remember, because we're talking about the Giants early in this boyfriend story, they did not do well. He was a shiny point of light for, for the Giants last season. In his first game as a Giant, his first at bat, he hit a home run. That was the same game that we talked about before where where the panda pitched. We had the position player pitching an inning, and he had a scoreless inning. That was also the game where Alan Hansen had his first at bat, and he hit a home run. That would be Pablo Sandoval. That would be near Pablo and Sandoval. Near and dear to our hearts. That's right. That's right. The panda. Um, Hansen was mainly a pinch hitter. He would come in late in the game and either pinch hit or sub in for somebody else. Um, he had he batted 379 as a pinch hitter, which is kind of outstanding. It's the fourth best in all of Major League Baseball for the past season. Had 11 pinch hits. He is super fast. He's amazingly fast and he's really lucky. So he makes highlight reels a lot for amazing base running, but most of them are rooted in bad decisions. For instance, he scored a run off a missed pickoff versus the Cubs. So he's on first. He he makes a move to steal second. The pitcher throws to first and overthrows. So he tags up and he runs and he keeps running. And they're like, woo, he made it to third. That's awesome. And then he took off again and he beat the throw home by inches. Shouldn't have done it, but he did it. So it's a highlight reel. That's nothing new for him. So now that I'm talking about it, I'm thinking he's making some questionable decisions. Maybe he hmm. should have been your boyfriend. Oh, well. Oh, maybe, we'll he's my, maybe he's my emulating potty mouth boyfriend You're for the season. You're branching out. Going to do a super quick rundown of stuff happening with women in baseball. Yes, that's women in baseball, something that we are following closely. Three important things right now. First of all, just a week or so ago, the minor league baseball announced their matches for the LIFT program, which is something that we've talked about before. This is leaders inspiring future talent. And the idea is that you're matching up a woman who has been in the field for less than four years with another woman who's been in the field for more than four years. And these are women who are working in various aspects in minor league teams. There are 34 pairs listed, and I will definitely post that link so you can see all these amazing women who are helping women get into minor league baseball. Major League Baseball is having the winter meetings this week. The two days before the winter meetings, they're having a special event for women. Gotta love seeing MLB encouraging women to get involved. They're having this called Take the Field event, and they've selected 50 women ranging from people in college to people who've been working in the field for 20 years. They are doing a ton of stuff. They are doing panels. They are doing sessions. They're doing mock interviews. And they are networking with team reps. So hopefully this means that those 50 women will have clear pathways toward big jobs in Major Major League Baseball. Within the winter meetings themselves, this Tuesday, which is the day that this is going to drop, so happening right now, check your Twitter feeds, the Women in Baseball Leadership event is happening as part of the winter meetings. So branching out a little more, bringing in more women, talking about opportunities that are out there in baseball. Wait, we're missing it. Why aren't we there? I can't figure that out either. But um, one of the other important things besides us not being here, being there, that's an oversight, is that in the past, during these winter meetings, there might be a breakout session or maybe let's go out for coffee to talk about women in baseball. Well, I'd have to go out for a beer at the bar. 
Yeah. You would. You would. That's right. Or let's go for a beer yeah, at the bar. There you go. But all of a sudden, it's a program. It's becoming part of the system and part of the big picture. It's becoming part of the institution of Major League Baseball, which is fantastic. Yay, Major League Baseball. Um, last thing we're going to talk about briefly is Addison Russell, who we've talked about before. He was serving a suspension for domestic abuse. He is with the Cubs. Joe Madden um, tendered a contract to well, the Cubs, tendered a contract to Russell. So they didn't cut him loose yet. But Madden says there's no guarantee he's going to play. They're monitoring him closely. So he's on a suspension imposed by Major League Baseball. And as part of that suspension, he has to do various um, uh, therapy things and trainings and all of that. And Madden says we're watching every bit of this. We are not going to let this slip. We're not going to let this go by. And Russell apparently says, he says, and Madden underscores, that he's doing extra things above and beyond what's being required of him. Um, anger management things, all sorts of things. Again, this is all grain of salt, but some things that Madden said, I'm going to give him some props for saying out loud because now we can hold him to it because he said it out loud. He said, we need to take the blame as well as the credit for what our players do, because we are, you know, we're this main contact for them. We know them as players, but we don't know enough about the whole person, especially the guys who come in as super young players. We need to build more of an infrastructure to take care of these guys as they're coming up from teenagers. We need to support their families. They need to provide more resources, and they're networking with community organizations, specifically some community organizations in Chicago that are shelters and do other kinds of, of work with uh, victims of domestic abuse. So he's widening that net. He's creating a bigger infrastructure, and I'm hoping this works. He's saying the right words, and because they're now on record, we can hold him to it. So go Joe yeah, Madden. And he has a lot to make up for because the first time we talked about this, he was not reading her side of the story. So let's, I'll, I'll keep an open mind and keep watching what happens with Joe Madden. I'm just happy that this is the way the conversation is going. And the conversation for next week is going to include boyfriends for the Toronto Blue Jays and the New York Mets. So oh, we go international. We, we are. We're crossing borders we for go. this one. Um, so between now and then, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you have a chance. Tell your friends about us you can get us wherever you get your podcasts and in the meantime say good night potty mouth good night potty mouth <laughs>